Hello, my people. Welcome to the Rasa Podcast. This podcast is an auditory and soon-to-be visual exploration of all aspects, including the Rice African Student Association, with the aim of connecting, educating, and celebrating student members of the African diaspora here at the Rice University. Before we begin, I would like y'all to hear some great words from my dear Rasa president. Hey Rasa family, my name is Eden Desta and I'm the Rice African Student Association president this year. If you're new to Rasa, welcome. We're really happy to have you here. Now we're a family of individuals who enjoy celebrating and learning about African culture through conversation, food, music, dance, and so much more. As an organization, we host regular events and meetings in order to foster community and support our members. If you know me, you know that my culture is one of the most important aspects of my life, and having a place to express that has honestly been essential for my Rice experience. We have a lot of exciting things planned for y'all this semester, like an outdoor picnic and movie nights, Taste of Africa, which is our big fall event where we highlight all the regions represented in Rasa and make African culture feel more accessible to the greater rice community. Um, We have birthday weekend, which is a celebration of Rasa, Africa, and our members, both past and present. Um, We have a talent show, and the thing I'm most excited for is definitely this podcast. I hope you'll enjoy everything in the works, and when in doubt, please feel free to reach out to me with any questions, comments, or even if you just need someone to pick you up some snacks um, because you needed to cram for that exam last minute. I'm here for you, and so is Rasa. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I would also like to hold a moment of silence for all the lives lost so far this year. May their souls rest in peace. But as we continue, let me finally introduce myself. My name is Patrick Oaidiuno, and I'll be Ross's director of community this school year. And try to not only this podcast, but also Ross's central committee. But before I go on, I believe we are now ready for this episode to begin. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Rasa Podcast. Your boy, Patrick O. Ayeduno. Uh, I am joined here by my co-host, Majda. Uh, if you want to introduce yourself. Hey, so I'm so excited to be here. I'm Majda. I'm a bioengineering major at Baker. I'm a junior and I'm the events coordinator for Rasa this year. And yeah, so I had a question for you, Patrick. Um, why... Why the podcast? Why why the Rasa podcast? Well, I think I said this before, but it was an e-board decision, but there was really just a need to reach out to our members, especially given the restraints of the pandemic. And I really just wanted to find a way to, in order to spread education, spread information, while also discussing the topics that are prevalent in African students' um, lives here at Rice. So it was really just a, a more virtual format 
to in order to implement my role as the director of community for Rasa and just um, bring Rasa students together on a virtual format, basically. Um, we are joined here as well with our guest. Um, if y'all would like to introduce yourselves. Hey everyone, I'm Malaika. Um, I'm from Martell, I'm a sophomore. My major is social policy analysis and I'm hoping to get that African and African American studies minor, but we'll see. Uh, but yeah. Hey, hey everyone, my name is Abed Agbola. Um, I'm a senior at WISE and I'm studying kinesiology and health sciences. Hi everyone, my name is Darren. I am from Sid Richardson. I'm studying civil engineering, trying to figure out a minor right now, but that's not important. And I'm a sophomore, so happy to be here. Well, it's great to see y'all today. Thank y'all for coming out. Um, well, let's just get into it. Um, how was y'all summer? Honestly, there was a long summer really, you know, started kind of early. So y'all doing anything special? What, what was going on? Um, my summer was fine. I feel like it was definitely hard because like everyone knows there was a pandemic and different things going on this summer. So it was definitely hard, kind of stressful, but it was also nice to be with my family. That was like the longest time I've been with them since I left for college. So that was nice. Yeah, my summer was really similar. It really didn't feel like a summer apart from the heat since, you know, that we have, we're dealing with multiple pandemics. And I guess I just did classes and I guess later in the summer helped my siblings move in. Yeah, um, my summer was also really weird. Um, spent a lot of time with my mom, which was good and bad. <laughs> um, but we actually moved to a new place, my mom and I, so that was awesome. Um, and the last like couple weeks before school started, I got to see my friends finally. So. I was happy about that. But yeah, it was weird. <laughs> oh yeah, I like, my summer was good too. I was thinking a lot about, or, like over the summer, I was thinking a lot about like my family. And since this was like the longest time I've spent with my family since like college started. So I was wondering with y'all, like, do you feel like the summer brought you and your family closer? Or like, did you learn stuff about your family that you didn't know before? So yeah. Um, even though like, I was with my family it was kind of also hard because I was still kind of following the American time so I'll sleep in the mornings and then like go to bed like very late so it was kind of hard to connect with them in like the same space even though we're like living together so that was one thing I kind of felt bad about because I know my mom was like oh like you don't spend time with us and I was like well everyone is asleep when I'm like awake so that was just the only hard thing but I feel like my family and I are pretty close. So it was like everyone was understanding and I, I still talk to them now. So it's all fine. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Like I already said, like me and my mom like had problems, but that was just because we were spending so much time together and I was stressing about school and she was stressing about work. So, but you know, I think everything's fine now. It's just the stress of everything that happened this summer made it kind of hard but yeah yeah I also spent a lot of time with my family like the most I've spent with them since I left for college and it was really interesting because this summer what we were supposed to be I have four other siblings and we were all going to be like separated one in one city I was supposed to go abroad but you know that all ended so we just spent a lot of time together which was really nice um we got to 
watch movies together, um, celebrate holidays together. It was really nice. And I don't know, but also I was just reminding myself of like why I really wanted to go back to college because sometimes it just gets annoying. (laughs) But, you know, it was really fun overall, overall, yeah. Yeah, just sorry, just to add, but like, that's kind of the thing I noticed about like going to college, it's kind of hard because you definitely love your family, but sometimes after staying for too long, like after going back home, you kind of just know why you like college and just like the independence and it's just, it's just very, it's just a very interesting thing, yeah. Yeah, I that was something that I learned, like, just going to college, the independence is like, I was forming this completely new personality at college in my family like I felt like they didn't know me so I felt like the summer was my like time to like reclaim that so I like was like okay I'm gonna be like as honest as I can be with my family to the point where like I'd be safe and like just like yeah just like be as open and like open to learning how they are and like because things have changed back home so that was really exciting for me this summer even though it was just a lot of change this summer in general for I think people as a society and then also I think there's just little like little micro changes as well in my life yeah honestly like this summer for me as well was very eye-opening for me you know my brother used to say that 2020 was the year that everyone would have 2020 vision and like he, he was calling it out before it became popular but it really was so real when he said it and I just learned so much about myself this summer about my family I like we really bonded very well um, I saw outside of this family um, stuff I was working with this summer, I was working on REU, the Southern, um, University of Southern Mississippi. And so that was really like, it really engaged my time. But like, outside of that, I also was like, you know, dealing with all that was happening this summer. Like, like you touched on a little bit, there a lot was happening outside and the, during the summer, especially with um, bigger issues, um, political issues, like civil unrest as well. Um, I know that this past summer, you know, the death of George Floyd really spurred a lot of people in order to go out and protest. And I really set a lot of things on fire, basically on the news, on, on social media, on everywhere, really. And so, like, I, I really want to, like, touch on that, actually, for today's discussion and, like, see where, where were y'all all at the, during this time and how did y'all feel about this and really get, like, a gauge on it from this uh, uh, rights African student perspective. But I just really want to know, like, how did y'all feel about what was going on, like, with the the protests, with the riots, following George Floyd's death, and, like, just everything else going with the Black Lives Matter movement and their take on it, really? Honestly, amongst the pandemic, even, too, like, that must have been, you know, there was a lot of, you know, increased danger, the increased activity on the streets because all that's happening with the pandemic. I guess, like, for me, I don't know, like, At first, I was kind of in disbelief that everything was happening. Like, it was like, okay, protests in my hometown. But then I look and see, oh my God, they're happening like across the entire country and the world. So that was like crazy. Like, I was like, is this real? Like, is this really happening? Um, But yeah, and also just like, I don't know, thinking back to the very beginning of it all, like, I remember hearing about Ahmaud Arbery first and that was like a different situation but still another tragic black death and then hearing about all the police killings specifically so it was just like 
there were so many within the span of a few weeks. That was really crazy to me. Um, so yeah, it was a lot. Definitely, honestly, like when like the um, the news of Doris Floyd actually came out, I actually woke up and saw the picture of the burning like Wendy's like on social media, and like at first I was like scared, but like I became inspired actually by it because like I feel so. Like that was an appropriate response for all the atrocities that was being committed and being supported by police departments. And like, I don't know, it turned from a dismay to more like, you know, emboldened and inspired. Um, for me, this was kind of like the first time I had like fully realized the like reality of the whole thing because um, not being not, not like living in the U.S., I always used to hear of all these things happening, like the whole thing with Trevor Martin and Ahmaud Berry and all these cases and hearing like the one of George Floyd this summer and seeing how the Black Lives Matter like took up momentum like after that and how people like really took their like stand and tried to like protest and did all these things and just watching that like unfold was very like inspiring and it was also kind of a time for me to kind of reflect and learn for myself what the Black Lives Matter movement was all about because I had heard about it but like I wasn't fully sure of what they were doing like I wasn't fully sure of like what was happening around and I feel like the summer for me was definitely the chance I had to properly educate myself myself because so many things I learned this summer I hadn't learned before there weren't things I heard about there weren't conversations that people were having around me so it was very insightful it was very insightful to have that opportunity to just reflect and like educate myself so yeah I felt the same way I was really going into it after this was after we all went home for the break and I, I was on like a social media cleanse I don't know what you would call it so I wasn't really looking at social media um, I wasn't really doing any of that and then coming out of that and then seeing the explosion of like either black violence or social media just everything was like very inflammatory it was just really overwhelming and then I guess it that was also a time for me to reflect as well because it looked like it was a time of simultaneous awakening for America and honestly across the world. But you know, then I was reflecting on like how I feel about it and how since uh, when I was young, since the case of Trayvon Martin, I was just really think every time it happened, it registered in my brain. But this was the first time that it actually made me like physically feel like revolted, you know, about living in America, about seeing how racism plays out for people who, you know, just living their lives and then suddenly they're killed. And, you know, it's, it's like no one has an answer, but the answer has been staring everyone in the face that everyone now suddenly decides they want to see that racism is real, that for, especially like underrepresented minorities in the U.S., like life is not, I don't, life is not fine and dandy to that. You can just work hard and like live your life without discrimination, without all these other barriers that people are now seeing. So it was really, it was like, it was very aggravating seeing that other people are just now, like just now seeing what we've all been seeing as like the recurring problem within the U.S., yeah, and I, I felt that, Zubeda, when you said, like, it really hit you this summer, because, yeah, I just remember, like, 
like having like a painful cry like to my mom and I was like why why am I like crying about this so so deeply now like I know this has been happening for years but I think now that I'm older I see like how it can affect me personally and you know that sounds kind of conceited and stuff but like thinking about if I go and have children if I have young black boys or girls or any child they could be put in danger um just by living and then I think about my brothers I think about my dad I think about all these people and of course me too because now we see like I always thought like girls had less of a chance of you know being murdered by police or being killed in some hate crime but we that's not true we know that that's not how it works. It literally can be any Black person. Um, so yeah, that's why I think this summer hit me like harder than any of the other incidents in the past. Yeah, and I don't know if it's like the age, but I understand like what you're saying, Ma. Like I feel like for some reason, like this one was definitely the one that kind of pushed me. Because like I said before, like I hear of all these things happening, but you just know it's happening. But I don't know what what it was about this summer that made people really realize that this is the reality for so many different people and this was like the first time I ever felt scared for like my brother who wants to come to the U.S. next year to study and I you know because I was just thinking about like a time when we were coming for a vacation here and he was like stopped by the like police to kind of like search him and at that point it wasn't scary to me but then like thinking over that situation and how that could have changed like in a second how that could have like been a different thing in such a second it's it's very scary and it's it's there's the reality for so many different people and I feel like now more than ever like so many different people are realizing that not only black people people of different races and different colors so uh, did any of y'all go up and um, protest on the streets I know I did actually it was like one protest I'm like all I could see were guns held by like police people in order to keep people organized and like the amount of force in order to make sure things didn't ramp up that I saw was so unnecessary. Like it scared me really. I felt like if I even stepped out of line, I might, you know, I'd be a, a new poster or something. It was terrible really. And it was just for like a peaceful protest. Like did y'all, any of y'all experience that as well? I think I can speak to my experience protesting. I remember for me, the summer was very, very emotional in like all of kinds of the words. So. I think whenever the Black Lives Matter movements um, took like the front line again, like I felt, I don't think I've ever felt anger like that before to the point where I'd be protesting and like yelling at cops. And like, like I felt like I was at a point where the anger kind of like just consumed me and it just like, like, it just like, like I wasn't myself, but yeah, like, I think also something I wrote down while everyone was talking, but like it, the protests and like coming like face to face with cops um, in a way that I've never been that way before just made me think. And also just like how, like reactions to COVID, reactions to BLM, reactions to all the changes that were happen happening, remind, like just opened my eyes to how like pervasive violence is in the United States. And then I think it also can extend to like worldwide how we've structured things like violence is just this language that we've all just like subconsciously used and I also see it in like 
that's why I mean, that's why I was talking about when there was just a lot of different changes in my life this summer, like even in my family, there is some like notions of violence that like are unnecessary, but it just, there was just, that was what my, like when you were talking about unnecessary force, like it's just seeing that firsthand and seeing like the protests could be perfectly fine if there were no cops and people were allowed to exercise their like right to protest just freely like imagine a protest where it's just the protesters um going maybe to like a police department and just like speaking their mind and the police allowing for that to happen as it should like the only violence is brought about from the state like it really is but that was my experience protesting is like feeling a way that I've never felt before and then being in the collective like mob mentality like being in that space with all those people and then all of our emotions kind of like link up and just like amplify each other it's just it's it's amazing and it's scary and it's like it's an experience and I think it just brought it taught me a lot about like community and about like pushing for like pushing for different um causes and like in numbers and how powerful that can be yeah I definitely would echo that like I went to three protests, I think. My mom would not let me go to the initial one that happened in Chicago because, and I'm glad now that she did because my friends went and it was crazy. And then a lot of people I know got arrested there. And, you know, then that's a whole process to get out of jail. But um, the ones that I went to were a lot less violent, I think, because the police were told to tone it down by our mayor but um still they were there and still they had their guns and their shields and whatever um in the the two protests where we actually were marching um we would always march by a precinct and they would just have like the police just guarding the precinct with their lives i'm like seriously (laughs) it's a building (laughs) so stupid I just yeah and they they don't like I don't understand how someone can be so cold and dead inside just watching people walk by them watching people with so much anger and so much sadness like and not move not say anything like that just blows my mind so that was a like hard reality um that I was faced with, that people can really be that um, just numb to other human beings. Yeah. Yeah, I can't speak to going to any, I didn't go to any protests physically, but I went, I signed a lot of petitions, you know, I donated and I focused on educating myself since I was educating myself on like other social issues but also I had two classes at the same time. So I was doing that as well. (laughs) Um, But just like seeing the protests and like seeing all the videos that were shown, especially of like the police dressed up like their military going to war against the people. It's, it was really scary to see that because like the people are supposed to be the ones, you know, ruling the state, but yet it's, uh, yet it's not and also I don't the switch up was just mind-blowing because you would see a video of 
um, police, you know, trying to kneel with protesters, saying some moving speech, trying to bring us all together. But then you see 30 minutes later, all the tear, ca uh, tear gas coming out. You see people getting hit with uh, rubber bullets, which aren't really rubber and actually can hurt people very much. And just the amount of violence you see after that initial show of truce was just, I, yeah, I don't, I didn't know how people, I don't know. It was so interesting how you could show someone one side of you, but then you have no, it's like, oh, all guns are blazing when it's time to actually, you know, all the news cameras are just going away and it's just you and the protester. And like, there's no value for the right to protest. It's just all, oh, yes, we must protect our buildings. We must protect our city in a way that doesn't allow you to live your life. Yeah, so also like Zubeda, I also didn't attend any protests, but I was also trying to sign petitions and do all those things. But one thing that was very interesting to me was kind of just watching everything unfold because it kind of looked like the state was just at war with itself because it's so crazy how like it was the police again it was like the police against the citizens. And one thing I also observed was how different the videos were of the protests like on social media and like on the news itself because um, my family and I would try to like watch the news to see what's going on in the U.S. and I remember a time when they were just focusing on like the citizens like looting, looting things and like doing all these things and then I'll go to social media and see like um, the like people like being pushed by the police or there was even like a video of this man and his like pregnant wife just trying to get through and like they were throwing chair th gas and they were like throwing all these things and that's the side, like, that's the thing, the side they showed, the, like, rest of the world is always different to the side you see on social media, and I feel like that really helped to push their narrative of, like, oh, like, the citizens are the ones, like, doing the bad things, and even, like, watching with my family who aren't, like, most of them aren't on social media, and my uncle would say things like, oh, like, well, why are the citizens, like, doing all these things, but he doesn't, like, see the other side on social media, like, what the police themselves are doing, and I feel like that was just something that definitely helped to push the narrative of like, oh, these like citizens are like the ones doing the bad things. And that definitely just took away from what they were actually doing, like the actual protest that was going on, why they were protesting. So that's just something I wanted to add. So with Doreen, when you were talking about your family, something came up, like a question, like how did y'all's family receive the Black Lives Matter movement? Because I know I had to have, I come from a Sudanese background. So my family were all immigrants to the US. So they have their own belief systems and they have their own identity politics. And like, it was really interesting to see how they received Black Lives Matter. And then also how I would try to have conversations with them. And that was something that I had to learn how to do in a way that was productive and in a way that wasn't like just us yelling at each other. Cause I don't think that's, it's a waste of energy and it's a waste of time. Um, but yeah, how did, y'all's family receive Black Lives Matter, Matter and like what like what family do you come from as well? Um, I guess I could kind of since I've already kind of started talking about how my family um, received Black Lives Matter. Um, if I'm being very honest I feel like so let me just kind of give some background I guess so I grew up in Nigeria. I live in Nigeria. My whole family is basically in Nigeria and 
I would say because of the pandemic going on, my especially like my mom, because I live with my mom and my brother, I feel like her focus definitely wasn't on the Black Lives Matter. She was more like concerned with like the pandemic and everything going on. But sometimes when we watch the news and like we see all these things happening, um, for my mom in particular, I feel like she was kind of, because my mom is a very compassionate person and she has like, like black children too, like studying in the US. So she was definitely like upset about things that were going on as well, which was kind of nice to see. And she wasn't like saying like, oh, wow, why don't these like people just do these things? It was kind of my uncle that was having that like viewpoint that you know it like why if like the looting is a problem like why did they lose like why don't they do all these things and like I said before that because of the narrative that he was being shown that took away from why they were protesting like a man was killed and that wasn't the focus of the news it was more like these um, protests are violence these people are violence they're just here to like cause commotion and like cause destruction and we heard a lot from Trump like on the news and we weren't hearing a lot from the protesters, hearing a lot from the people who were actually out there risking their lives and having, like trying to educate people. And a lot of the things that they were just showing people like on the news where like Trump's um, speeches or like he's like comments about things or like people from the Republican Party. And I feel like that was just a big distraction as to what was actually going on. And like I said, it was like most of the information I got was through social media. And my mom is on social media, so she was also able to get some things and see some videos and see like a different viewpoint. But for people who aren't on social media, like especially in different African countries, I would assume that they will also be seeing that same narrative of like, um, this is what like people are doing. They're just being like violent and destructive, like without like showing us what is actually going on and why people are actually trying to get like their voices heard and things. So that was. Yeah, so my family had a similar experience so I'm first generation so I, I was born here but my parents migrated from Nigeria and I think at first it was because of like they watched CNN a lot and so on the news there was a lot of focus on the rioting and the looting and not really about why people were protesting um, and so that's what you know in conversations with, with I had with them that's what it, it didn't focus on it, but it was like a, it, it was a, an important point that came up, but I feel as time went on and it wasn't that, it was a short, short amount of time afterwards that they actually understood, oh yeah, this is why people are protesting and, you know, this is us because we live in America, we're Black, and so there's no difference in treatment that they're going to give you. So, you know, for my brothers, this, you know, that, that could be them out on the streets, you know, just getting killed. So it was, it became more centered towards, I guess, like actually advocating for Black life and not focusing on um, the stories that the media would like to spin for us. Yeah, I really agree with both of y'all. Honestly, like, I could already tell what my parents were gonna say even before this whole protest started they were notorious for like being scared of what they saw on the news like even before when we first when they first came here they used to watch news a lot my dad would see all of this crime and violence going on in america guns everywhere and they get so scared they would tell me and my siblings not to go outside stay home love being at home and just like just 
bewareful of the Americans, you know, it's not a general term for American people. And so, like, I could, I could, like, I was frustrated at first when I was hearing this, like, you know, why can't I make friends outside? And why is everyone dangerous? And why is everything dangerous? Why can I not experience these things? And I realized that, like, looking from their perspective, where they come from, what they had to grow up with. I know in Nigeria, my, my mom actually went through the Biafra War. That's what would happen in Nigeria. And so she was already gone through a lot of a turmoil in her home, in her home before. And comparatively to that, you know, she personally did not see the struggles here as something to be concerned about, especially since we came here for education to advance ourselves. And like, once I started thinking about that, I started making sense, like, why did we so, you know, want to stay out of these things and focus on ourselves and being so, you know, like selfish with our attention. But at the same time, it doesn't really excuse not showing care for these for people, other people other than ourselves. I always thought like it was my duty, especially someone who was raised here, to at least try to support people that were not me, you know, at the very least. Um, just to kind of ask you a question, Patrick. So having like Nigerian parents and like growing up in the US, did you ever feel like your parents kind of forced that narrative that you're supposed to be like the different from African Americans and like you're supposed to try and separate yourself? Honestly, they did. I don't, I thought this was the same for everyone. Like I go on Twitter and I see like the general tweets about it, but like it, they did. It was literally like you know, there's some movies where they show they talk that they have like there's this one black character that talks about how there there's two different type of black people in America. There's the African Americans and the N words, you know. So like I'll just like it was that was like the same type of speech I would get from my dad really about how you know us Nigerians we're way different than. African Americans and that we that's why we don't trust them and stuff like that and they were supposed to be better you know we don't we understand where we come from you know things are different and like when I was young I didn't really think too much about it you know I was just like but my dad speak and listen but then I started thinking for myself understanding what he was saying it seemed kind of like wrong you know I'm like I, I know these people I lived here I these are my friends what's going on and I was but like I said before like, I understand like, I understand where he's coming from at the same time it's like is that a, is that a reason to not show support for these people. I, like, I really be concerned sometimes with that, how some people, especially from, I guess, Afri like immigrants from out of Africa view the political nature in America, how it is so easy for them to toss it to the side and belittle it because it's, it's not as pressing or they feel detached from it. That like when people say black life, it means all black life, not just American black life. It's it's all black life. Like I, I'm fairly certain there, there was the political turmoil, all the things bad happening in Africa are the same concerns for people protesting here in America. But you know, with, with our proximity comes more attention. And so they focus on the political issues, American political issues, overcoming that, and they'll get to the African issues as well. But we never think about the long term. So focus on ourselves and in, in the short term and overcoming that. But I digress. But yeah, basically. Yeah, um, on that note, I've recently been thinking a lot about how how ingrained anti-blackness is in this country and how the United States has managed to paint an image of black Americans that is so bad that even people who look like them in other countries hate us. And I first realized that there was this kind of thing going on, like probably like my later years of high school. And it just blew my mind because we're all supposed to be you know, family-ish, at least kinfolk or something, because we're all, you know, recent descendants from Africa. But 
Yeah. And honestly, I was a little worried coming to college because I was like, oh, shoot, like, I hope like other students who, you know, maybe have African parents or whatnot, like don't have this image of me and like where I come from. Um, but I realize that's not the case. It's just there's so many divisions. And I really think they've all been placed very intentionally within our diaspora to divide us. Um, it's very interesting to talk about, I think, but um, I've definitely have friends who've told me like, cause they feel comfortable with me. Like um, I had a one, I had one friend who was like, um, my mom used to tell me like, don't hang out with black American kids. And her mom was African. Um, like don't hang out with them. Like they're bad. They're lazy. Like their parents don't know how to raise them that kind of thing. And when I heard that, I was just like, wow. Yeah, that that's crazy. Yeah, so. And it's, I can like resonate a lot with what Patrick said. And I think it is like how you explained it, Malika was really like clear about like how anti-Blackness is like kind of, it reaches Africa and like, develops this like image of what blackness is. And then us Africans try to, or our parents, at least I wouldn't try to do that, but our parents put it into us to try to like to remove themselves or like distance themselves from what one definition of blackness is. And that's why I thought it was really important for us to have this conversation. Cause then it's like helping all of us redefine what blackness is so that we can all be in solidarity with each other even more and like make that, more of a norm to always understand and appreciate people's different experiences like actual lived experiences and appreciate them as black and then all of that we can all come together in proximity closer like I had this conversation with my cousin when I went to visit her in Dallas and I was like talking about the Black Lives Matter movement and she said some of those things and I was like like trying to explain like systemic racism to her I was like there is, and then I had to bring it into terms of like Sudan and like the South Sudan, like um, civil war and how like, I was like, imagine being oppressed like the South Sudanese were, like we oppressed the South Sudanese to the point where they are now just starting to build their country. And even then they're having divisions within themselves. Like imagine years of oppression on how we did, like I had to put it in an image that she would understand that she's familiar with so that she could apply it here. And only when I did that was when she like, was like, oh yeah, I understand that. And even the South Sudanese like civil war was largely like because of anti-blackness and like the South Sudanese people were seen as like more African and we were seen as like, we saw ourselves as like more Arab or more proximity to whiteness, which is like, so it's just so, like you were saying, it's really like wild how anti-blackness can like, seep into African culture, even when we all, like on the surface level on our skin, like we all are more alike than we are different. Like it just, it just, yeah, it's really, really interesting to think about. And then also to have conversations about, and that's why I think it's just really important to like disagree with people like in a civil manner so that we could like learn with each other and learn about each other. Um, yeah, it's, do y'all feel like, like, how do y'all feel about having these conversations about, like, 
redefining blackness in terms of the black American experience and like the black African experience. Not that I want to separate them, but how, what have your experiences been with those? I think we definitely need to have these conversations because I feel like so many Africans don't even realize they have these like views about like African Americans and even like their own, <coughs> sorry, their own like, um, like, okay, so let me just give an example of like, as you were talking much, I just remembered how from like colonialism, like Nigerians always felt like the Westerners were like educated and they were seen that they felt like they were more superior than other people. And I'm also thinking of Rwanda, how they had that whole civil war because of the same thing, because people put in their minds that this is how a certain person should look and act. And this is when a person looks like, yeah. So I was saying um, in Rwanda, how they had the whole civil war because the white people came and then they said, this is how, these are the futures and someone that are good. And these are the features of like a leader, someone that should rule. And they had a whole civil war about it. And I feel like, cause I was also thinking about all these things. Like where do, like, where do these thoughts come from? That Why do we think like someone who looks like this is dangerous? Why do we think like someone who looks like this isn't someone we should be associating ourselves with, especially if that person also looks like us because we all have dark skin. And I feel like all these things have been ingrained for so long over so many different years. And it's just so it's just so interesting how to see how like it has sipped into like even this Black Lives Matter movement because I felt like so many different Africans were desensitized to the issue because we have kind of been taught to feel like this is not our problem. This is like the African American problem. Like we're not experiencing this thing here in Africa. And it's so false because <clears throat> like I said, all these it all these things have been ingrained in us and police brutality still exists in Africa and no one is asking where is it coming from who put this narrative in our head that we should like oppress ourselves and it's just very interesting and I feel like we need to be more in touch with like what's going on because the Black Lives Matter movement that's happening here in the U.S. is something that we need to be discussing in Africa because so many different things have come about and people are not realizing that they it directly affects us as Africans so that's just something I wanted to ask because um when that when Patrick was talking and I felt like um Africans just have that implicit bias towards um African Americans and no one is talking about it no one is talking about all these questions so yeah I think that narrative was just always present when you're younger as well just even by you or sorry but like put on by your parents and also from other like aunties and uncles around like they always perpetuate that type of either anti-blackness like oh don't stay out to the sun too long too long you're gonna get too dark in the summer or or anti-african-americanness and like oh don't associate yourself with those people or you know trying to separate africans versus african-americans and i it was so interesting because like, yeah, I got those messages when I was young as well. But I think I, because of, yeah, I think it all, not all of it, but a lot of it has to do with education as well. And in terms of, uh, like, for me, getting more education about the African American experience and also, or like the Black experience within the US and the Black experience within Africa really. I don't know, made me think a lot more about these issues because it was always like it's always in the back of your head but until you 
actually think about it actively or have discussions about it it's it's not until then where you realize like oh maybe i was perpetuating some of these these stereotypes or um about other people or you know that you were kind of like distancing yourself away from blackness and i feel like the american education system doesn't help in terms of teaching I don't, just different perspectives other than a white one or teaching a different gaze other than a white gaze on Africa. Because like the way you learn about Africa is like, okay, the history starts at the transatlantic slave trade. And then, you know, it goes on from there and then you don't really get any type of inspirational and or like useful history, especially the way that they just glazed over the civil rights movement was not okay. But I don't know, it was just, ugh, I don't know where I'm going with this. Sorry, y'all. But yeah, that's, that's, those are my thoughts. I just want to get a little, you know, kind of comedic here, but I always thought about this whole difference between like African-American African, Black American, all different um, people in the diaspora. And like, one thing that really steps back into reality every time I think about it is the fact that like, like say you get pulled over by a cop and a cop's coming up to your door and he looks inside, he knocks twice, uh, excuse me, can you come outside? And then you come outside and they, they look inside, they see something you don't like, they put your gun on you. And like, I'm telling you, like, the cop is not gonna wait and, and like for you to stop and like be like, oh, officer, officer, wait, wait, my real my name is Olisa Tukubuka. No, no, it's, it's get on the ground now. And, 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 you're, and it's done from there. And, and if you resist, it's a whole protest. It's like, I'm just thinking is we as people, as black people need to start loving ourselves, respecting yourselves, not even like having some type of bigger fellowship, you know, because it, if we're really going to talk about black excellence and support each other in ways, we should be also supporting those who don't represent black excellence, like loving those people who are just, just as good people and don't have to, much to show for themselves. I mean, I, I'm trying to, I'm kind of going around topic, but I'm really saying is that like, if we don't show love for all of ourselves, who's going to show love for us? You know, we can't expect or desire love from an outside party or any redemption or recognition from them. We have to recognize ourselves recognize the power within ourselves and uplift ourselves so that we can reach that, that plane at which we don't have to face these problems as often as we do, you know? I feel as though it starts mentally from inside each one of us in order to get that true movement to start. Because as long as we have, compare ourselves to different cultures, I'm trying to avoid saying white people, but like compare ourselves to the white people and, and what Caucasians have done in the past, we won't get anywhere, you know? Our future will not be written from the past, it will be a different thing. It will be a new future, not steeped in the ideologies of today. And I'm just really getting liberal and very, very radical now, but like, um, as I transition, uh, what are other ways that y'all have responded to these changes? I know at, at Rice, there was something, um, a big campaign that went on. Um, can someone tell me more about that? Nice transition. <laughs> okay, so um, I'm, a part of Rise for Black Life, which is a coalition that started 
I guess very soon after the protest started uh, increasing, I guess, and it's black led. Um, so it was started by Sumar McGee. She's an alumni of Rice and she with some other people really wanted to move in a way that wasn't hindered by rise hierarchy, like in a regular organization or um, just really wanted to help people directly and not have to go through third party, um, I guess, third party delays. So she started Rise for Black Life and we, together we, we set up committees um, for different for different topics, but our main focus within that first week was to raise money for four Houston-based grassroots organizations. And so um, I don't remember the names of the organizations, but they were um, centering around helping protesters uh, providing f uh, bail funds for those who uh, wouldn't wouldn't be able to afford to get out of jail um, and you know with we really just reached out to the rice network as expensive as it is to the alumni with with deep pockets as well as you know other faculty administration really wanting you know just seeing how there are many rice students who wanted to act but you know, seeing that, seeing the value in providing funds to those who need it was kind of like the main core, like within this first week was what we wanted to use. So, you know, it, it was in, okay, so after, after a while, I think that that first Sunday after after we got together, we, you know, used every everyone who was in the organization reached out to their contacts and connects within Rice and outside of Rice as well to raise money. And we raised $93,000 within that first day. And it was very amazing because, you know, even before we started, we reached our first goal, which was, I think, like $2,500. And it just really showed, like, I think the mix, the combination of the timing plus the network was really what made that number so large. And, you know, it was within, like, being within the moment, it really felt that you had to act that very moment, you know, that everything was very dire, very urgent, you know, for people to get, um, to get that money or for us to organize towards this, this common goal. And so it was really amazing to see how, you know, within this short time we were able to, um, to collect money and really just um, to get funds to people that needed, people and organizations that needed them. And even throughout the summer, you know, just working within 
different areas. So like fundraising or um, like matches on the welcome committee, uh, the K through 12 education committee, the list of demands committee, you know, the list, list um, started from the list of demands that was, uh, that came out during the summer, um, just compiled from a list of, of black students. It, it didn't start off as a Rise for Black Life committee, but it um, eventually joined Rise for Black Life. And, you know, just it, the, the work is still continuing. So if anyone wants to join, you can still join. Um, but yeah, it's really, I feel the work is really needed and that, you know, people who still want to get involved and still want to be active allies slash activists um, can utilize Rise for Black Life as, as, a, as a medium for that. Yeah, I got involved with Rise for Black Life too, and it was just really cool seeing, I think also this came out, like this is one of the good things that came out of this time, was just seeing how quick like communities were to respond to um, financial need or like emotional needs or physical needs. So I also am a part of, like got involved with mutual aid and seeing how quick people can like organize around a cause, especially like around like COVID related cause or racial injustice or just anything, just reminded me so much of how like connected we are, like even this whole summer, like just reminded me so much about how much value there is in like doing things together. Um, and that also brings me back to like bringing the, dis like facilitating the discussion between like, like within the black community so we can work out our, our little kinks so that like um, we can have a stronger bond and stronger connection to like move forward. Um, so yeah, working with like immediate, my immediate community, which was like the rice community and then like the black community um, in my immediate social circle is something that I learned from like all of this, um, yeah. Yeah, I really like the Rice for Black Life campaign, honestly, because it, it gave people in this movement roles that they never would have thought they would fill in a, a previous movement. Because like, there's been many, many allusions to this movement being so very similar to the civil rights movement back in the day. And back then, people were like, were not really sure what they were doing in a moment like this. But like, with the whole nuance of technology, uh, technological front to the movement, involving people digitally um given the pandemic restraints this black rice for black life was a very you know very good local means for students but just like us to get involved in the little ways that they could but speaking of roles um what do y'all feel how do y'all feel about africa's role in the movement as a whole I, I like i ask because there are a lot of things that go on in africa and i really wonder does does africa still have to make that grandstand does it is it is it like their job to be uh, become a, f a face for the move a new face for the movement? I don't know the most about like this issue or like where this fits into the whole thing, but I will say that I think a lot of like 
black people here in the US are kind of looking to Africa as like that one commonality, right? So whether it's in the form of, you know, fi finding your African roots, whatever that looks like for you, or I guess just being open to more like unity in the tons of different cultures there are in the diaspora. Um, I think that would be, that would be very transformative to, you know, not just this movement specifically, but all of the battles we're fighting um, across different countries. Um, but yeah. I agree with Malika on the unity. I feel like there definitely needs to be more of a connection because um, there's definitely, it definitely seems like there's some disconnect somewhere. I don't know where, but it just feels like, um, like we already discussed how it's like a, we are one side, like they are one side type of mentality. And I feel like that definitely should not be the case. I'm not saying like Africa should like completely involve themselves in like the Black Lives Matter movement, but I feel like it's a good start to even like start educating yourselves on like what the like movement is like start um because i've like i said already like the media and like africa on showing what all the issues in the u.s is facing it's not doing a good job currently and i feel like that's where some of the like biases like africans have come come from the media because even like when i was younger i used to watch all these movies about like um black americans and you see them like getting arrested like doing all these things with like drugs and like we're usually exposed to that narrative and i feel like that's definitely where that like idea of oh don't like talk to black americans come from especially like the men like most of them are like violent which is not true and i feel like we definitely need to do a better job of connecting with people even like on social media i see people fighting all the time and even like um this this like past summer i'm not on twitter but i was like my friends were like talking about how they were trying to like talk about the black lives matter movement and then like an african-american was like oh like it's not their place to like say anything and I felt like it's things like that that I feel like cause divide when people, hmm? what? Oh, sorry, I was reading that. <laughs> sorry, I'm so sorry, y'all. Uh, what was I saying? And I feel like it's things like that that cause divide when it's like, um, it's either like African-Americans are trying to, you know, get in touch with their African roots and maybe you see like some type of pushback or um, maybe, Af like Africans are trying to get involved with different issues and like trying to educate themselves and you're also seeing like a pushback and I just feel like it's something that we need to get past the whole idea of like us versus them that whole mentality I feel like is causing so much divide and not saying that we shouldn't respect each other's cultures because we do like live in different worlds and we do have our own like unique experiences and backgrounds and instead of using that to, to cause a divide I feel like we should celebrate that and make sure that we can coexist in like the same place and still have our culture, still have our backgrounds, but also just, you know, be like cordial with each other and be open to like connecting because at the end of the day, like we have one thing that does connect us and that's like being black. So. Yeah. Those are some really, really good points. Like you just said so much. <laughs> and um, there was some, there was something you said about like, there is something that is fueling this disconnect. And like, I've been thinking a lot about like what could be fueling this disconnect and I'm thinking, and then you said the us versus them mentality. And there is a lot of like us versus them, like oppressive mentality 
in all cultures. But something I want to hear from y'all is how do you think there is like, because we've talked a lot about oppression in the U.S., how do you think um, from your experience or from your perceptions, like how do you think there are oppressions in Africa um, or in, in some African cultures that like maybe fueling the separation or fueling this like othering, othering um, and making it seem like it's okay? Well, I know I see we've seen this probably a lot in many African countries, but um, particularly particularly speaking to Nigeria, I think the government has a lot to do with the perpetuation of the oppression in especially in terms of um, class differences. So um, you see how a lot of corruption or a lot of just political strife uh, fuels the wealth divide. And you see how a lot of people either you know, can't get jobs or you know, are just lit because of the circumstances are living in like complete poverty that like oppression is like the oppression that I guess like neocolonialist oppression continues to uh, propagate itself there. I feel like this is my answer to like anything that comes up with Africa's problems and I'm going to just say colonialism. I feel like colonialism brought so many different problems in Africa that people haven't even realized and like I'm just going to type, try and like make the connection here because the like connection I love to use is the one that happened with Rwanda like the Hutu and the Tutsi so the Hutu were like darker and like the Tutsi were taller and they were like lighter in complexion and they had like smaller noses features that were similar to like European features and because of that just because of that appearance they were made to believe that they were the ones supposed to be in charge of the country and I feel like colonialism just brought so many ideas to Africa that we didn't need and we just didn't need to have and I'll give another example with Nigeria how the western like the western people were favored because they were seen as more educated than like the other um, northerners or the like easterners and I feel like those issues are the ones that had developed into so many things like Zubeda um, mentioned um, corruption I feel like that's also where I started from because they came to the country, they saw these people like coexisting and they just took their pens and their papers and they just divided Africa into different sections, not considering their backgrounds, not considering their cultures, like their way of life. And they just forced them to live together. And they started favoring one group over the other because they'll see that this group has this certain quality and it was similar to them. And they felt like, oh, because this group has this quality, I feel like they should be the ones in charge. And they say that you should rule over this people or you should be in charge over this people. And after like so many years, they left and they left all these ideas of hatred and all these ideas of corruption. And they just like left Africa to like fend for itself after colonialism ended. And so many of these things are just things that are still happening. Like Africa is still facing all these problems, especially like South Africa too. So many different countries I could think of that are facing so many different problems from um, colonialism oppression yeah that's just like that's just where oppression is coming from like that whole idea of like us versus them like i kind of already talked about with the hutu and the like tutsi like it's us versus them the westerners like it's us versus them like we're supposed to be the ones in charge and that whole idea has also like stemmed into like um the anti-blackness because if 
as Africans, we can't like consider ourselves as like brothers and sisters, like we're supposed to be considering ourselves as, then how, how then do we see other Africans in other countries and expect to also like relate to them in a cordial way and like in a good way that we're supposed to be like relating with them in. So that's just my answer. Like colonialism just like changed so many things and you know, <laughs> that's just all I have to say. It really did. And there's just, there's just so much to unpack there and so many connections to make. And it's like, I mean, that's why there's so much like literature on it and so much talk about it. Like, I feel like sometimes I think, why do I always talk about this? But really, like, this is what it is. Like, this is how it was designed and how it was built. Um, yeah, so from what you were saying, like, the question that came to mind was how do we work to move like past colonialism like what can Africa learn from America or what can America learn from Africa and how do we kind of like work towards African solidarity on the continent but also on the in the diaspora um, it's kind of a lot of questions but how like I'm thinking about like like here we've built this movement to kind of uplift the most vulnerable so like trans folks and like black women and but in Africa like that's completely a different story and that's like like we have to think about how women are treated in Africa how um, non-straight people are treated in Africa how non-binary people are treated in Africa and that's like unravels like so many so much like history and so much that has to be faced so um so yeah my question is like how do we work to move past colonialism and towards this towards and move Africa towards a place where it can grow and be like a safe space for all its descendants I'm really glad you brought up the whole thing about like Africa and how it still has the certain views about like women and um, people that are not straight and people that are transgender because I feel like that's also one thing that's also kind of hindering um, like Africans from supporting the movement because there are still Africans who think the Black Lives Matter movement is like a demonic thing. And it's just so like interesting to like hear these people talk about like how they feel like these things are like meant to divide people or like you still have Africans who are saying like all lives matter. And it's, it's very interesting. But one thing I'll say just to kind of answer your question, Maj, that I feel like one thing Africa needs to do is, there are two things actually, face the reality and educate themselves. Because one thing I feel like Africans need to do first is understand the reality of colonialism. Like in school, I was taught that the white people came to give Africans education and like help us like rule ourselves. And it's just so crazy to think how they use education to like divide ourselves because they're teaching us how like these white people were like the saints and they brought like churches, they brought religion, they brought all these good things and quote. And it's not until you like get older and you have like friends and have all these discussions with people that you start to realize like, they don't tell you all the truths about like colonialism. They don't tell you all the effects of colonialism. And it's just, it's just so crazy. And I feel like that's something that Africans need to do first. They need to first face the reality of like what has happened to African countries. They need to go back and understand like, the divide that was created by colonialism because so many people haven't like come to terms with the fact that 
we're still suffering from colonialism and like all the things it brought. And that's also one thing that I feel like is hindering us from connecting with black um, African-Americans because if, when you even like think of it, it's like these African-Americans were taking from your African country. Some of them still have like their like names. Some of them, them just because their names are changed, you forget that they're like descendants or like their forefathers also came from the same country. And it's just interesting to like, like it's just interesting whenever I think of how like Africans have that us versus them mentality because it's meant to be us <laughs> in general because like long like once upon a time like their forefathers were also like in your compounds your forefathers were also like in your countries but we've been created to kind of or we've been like taught to kind of forget that and forget the whole like slave trade and forget like the impact of slavery in Africa and like how it has transcended into like the U.S. and I feel that's just one thing I feel like we need to do, just kind of face reality and re-educate ourselves and stop that whole like us versus them because at the end of the day, it's just us. Like it's, there's no them, there's no like other side, there's no like African-American, like just like we're all Africans at the end of the day. And it's very, it's very, it's very hard to remember that. And like I said before, it's also important to remember that we all do like, because of everything that's happened we all do have our own like backgrounds and experiences but instead of using that to divide I feel like we should just appreciate that and respect that yes we have different like identities but at the end of the day we're still like black people and that should be one thing that unites us at least so yeah I want to echo that education thing because I obviously don't have the perspective of you know like African like or African parents or things being told um there but here like it is eerily similar of how in like America in the U.S. education system how we're taught about Black history here how we're never taught about anything in Africa pre-transatlantic slave trade let alone on other sides of the continent, any of that stuff. So I feel like we all as a diaspora have a lot of educating to do because if not, you know, like when I was growing up, I definitely had little lingering like self-hatred things here and there about being black. And I had the same thoughts about, um, you know, like why, why are black men like lazy and why are they, you know, why are black women so like, loud and ratchet like what is that like and that was me like giving in to the whitewash white supremacist like teachings I've been taught in this public education system but when I grew up and I started learning about things and that happened in this country and the real black history um you know that completely changed the way I look at myself and the way I look at my people and if we all did that, like, true educating um, for ourselves, you know, learning about our ancestors, learning about the continent, learning about all Black people across the world, like, we would be in a whole different place, I feel like. So, yeah. I just wanted to add a little bit on the end. So, I wholeheartedly agree with education because I think with education comes like a greater sense of self, like your identity is kind of shaped by how you've learned about yourself or what you know about yourself. 
and especially when you're younger, like all of these whitewashed images and, you know, facts that you learn about your people really have an impact on you. And then that anti-Blackness like stays with you until you learn something else or something different. And I think like for me, when I, I took the history of modern Africa class, I really had like a, I guess, like a renewed sense of self after that. And like a renewed, I guess like proudness of where I come from and of the resilience of the entire black diaspora, because it just, I don't like through everything, we were still resisting. We were still, you know, trying to become self-sufficient. And I guess going back to today, how there's been, just been a lot of unnecessary interventions within Africa, particularly with, um, as you see, like a lot of uh, Chinese investors coming in and investing within Africa. And you know, many people see that as neocolonialism, which I also see as well because I guess like right after a lot of uh, countries got gained their independence, they were still financially dependent on those former colonizers. And that, I guess, is the most obvious way that you see that, um, you know, some countries are dependent on aid or some countries, you know, you just see a lot of corruption and that aids in you know, oh, okay, people can't get educated within that country or people are, people's quality, quality of life is not enriched and like they cannot become self-sufficient after, you know, your country is, you know, doesn't have the resources to help you. And I don't know, it just, especially like within uh, as to, to what Deering was saying uh, regarding like how Africa was just, you know, chopped up and, you know, people didn't really see themselves as Africans until they were forced to be, for, they had to force themselves to look at, they were forced to look at themselves as a country that needed to, li that needed to be liber liberated. Um, and so I guess like a lot of neocolonialist ideas and like power structures were still in place after independence. And so that's where you, that's where you see a lot of like ethnic fighting or ethnic cleansing or just oppression of ethnic minorities. Um, I guess like one example would be with the Roma people in, in Ethiopia Ethiopia, or um, where you see a lot of fighting like the Biafra war in Nigeria. So I think like a collectivist effort towards self-sufficiency or like being able to, um, I guess like work together and uplift, as, as we were always saying, like uplift each other in, in terms of like financial, financially, as well as um, in spirit. A, a really good quote that I thought about in order to summarize a lot of this, you know, overall struggle that Black people go through is 
is this. Uh, black people globally are fighting too many perpetual wars in their countries, in their homes, and in their minds. And like, it doesn't really like, we gotta stop and think like, not all, like the struggles that black people specifically go through is not just limited by physical burdens or inconveniences. It's something that's happening on different planes, spiritually, emotionally. There's lots of like, like there's like this uh, discussion about trauma that's been passed down from the slave ages that also can be passed down through from colonial ages is that people are fighting their demons basically in everything that they do. And some of the actions that you see from, from people ends up being like perpetuated by these struggles that we go through. I know like sometimes we think like, oh, why can't, why are people so ignorant? Why are we doing this? Why, why is that? But they don't understand like the struggles that the problems that we as people have faced that has put us in this situation and make us bitter and make us petty and make us angry. And this ends up becoming like a continuous problem for us. But yeah. Just to kind of add to what Patrick said, I feel like I definitely agree with um, what you said about how Black people are also like having their own issues because sometimes, especially like this summer, looking at the um, like the Black Lives Matter movement, sometimes it's so like easy to forget that these people are also going through their own things. Like they're also facing the pandemic. They're not just facing Black Lives Matter. Like they have jobs they're going to, they have children to take care of. They have like bills to pay. And sometimes like we just forget that black people are also people and they're also like going through all these issues and going through like mental health issues. And it's just very easy to forget. And just to like kind of add to that too, it's also like with um, what Patrick said, like at the beginning with like African countries and how they're also dealing with corruption. Like, even like I said with my mom, how she was more concerned about the pandemic because like they, they forced everyone to stay at home basically. And um, they weren't paying anyone. Like most people got laid off, like same with the US too. Like a lot of people lost their jobs. And they still have to go through these things in addition to like fighting for black lives. And it's, it's just a very like intense situation. And I feel like sometimes people forget that um, like black people are also going through these um, experiences. So, Yeah, there's just really some really good conversation there. And I think just to add to everything everyone was saying, and then after that moved on to talking about more current or like very current events, um, just extending like compassion and like like always when it, especially when it comes to black people um to help us move towards more solidarity is something that i've been thinking a lot about so like this platform like what we're doing now is some like one form of that and i think it was just really really amazing to be like here with y'all and to hear your thoughts and to kind of get to know you better and then also like just talk about really important issues and yeah and some of the I think these thoughts as well can be help us help inform us like to make conclusions and like decisions and kind of process the current events that are going on so one of the most recent unfortunately like shootings was the Jacob Blake shooting um I was wondering if y'all had any thing you wanted to say about that yeah, I'll speak on this a bit. So I think the Jacob Blake shooting kind of hit home for me, like literally, because um, Jacob Blake went to middle school and high school in the same district that I did, in the same high school that I did. Um, his father is a very prominent community figure back home. He's a pastor. Um, 
so the whole community felt that one and that me being here at rice i felt almost like i felt guilty for not being there just to you know be with my friends who were grieving and just be with the community um but you know i was able to see like my friends participating in the marching and going to the um they had a little service that was really beautiful i heard where my favorite um, music teacher from middle school played a song so just hearing about the community coming together um was really amazing and they actually raised about fifteen thousand dollars for jacob blake senior who's his father um so that was really beautiful um but yeah i think this sounds terrible but like it's bound at some point to hit really close to home because these things continue to happen constantly. So, but when it does, you know, it's unexpected, but I was, you know, very proud of my community for just supporting and loving each other in that time. So, yeah. Yeah, it's really beautiful to hear how your community came together and yeah I'm sorry you couldn't be a part of that but I hope you still were able to like connect with them and like feel some of that um and I think it's really important to also like recognize like the protests that came about because of that but then also just because of um the whole movement and that there is still like so much un like ongoing violence between the state and its people and in America and then also their revolts in Africa and all of this in like all while like a pandemic is happening globally um, and then we have a national election coming up so it's just really an overwhelming time but do y'all have any thoughts on like all of those like ongoing events right now and any thoughts feelings and yeah. I think it's really important for us to really take care of ourselves during this time. As you said, it's really overwhelming to be a part of so many things and to witness so much state-sanctioned state violence. Um, and especially like um, the Jacob Blake shooting as well. That was on the very first day of school, I think. and. It was, you know, it was just very overwhelming to start back up at school, but also continue to deal with violence against your people. And um, yeah, I think it was it's just very, very important for us to um, continue to take care of our mental health. And yeah. Yeah, I'm definitely with Zabeda on the mental health because like most of us are also like taking classes like we just started school again and it's going to get so hard. So I don't know, I'm just kind of scared for like everyone and scared to like see how like this year is going to continue to go on because like so many things have happened, so many things have changed. So I don't know, I'm I, like I'm just trying, I don't even know how I feel honestly. I'm just kind of like nervous about like going into the next few months. So. But yeah, like Zavita said, I hope everyone is like taking care of themselves and like talking to their friends because it's very important to 
just have people to talk to especially in this like zoom time because we don't have that physical connection with people so it's very important to like still try to stay connected so yeah and i think we touched on this earlier but i think now more than ever it's time to you know like we said educate ourselves get rid of that bs like transphobic homophobic ignorant shit i'm sorry (laughs) but like there is no room for that anymore um like black people need we need love we need to love each other respect each other's differences and just bring our community together and uplift each other um i think that's something we all need to be thinking about and reflecting on our areas that need growth um yeah just all black everything this year that's all i'm saying (laughs) i love that i love that that's such a that's such a good place to kind of wrap everything up or like kind of end the conversation on a positive note um with like direction of like where we want to go and i think that's it's perfect like black everything all black everything this year um bringing just like kind of what we wanted out of this discussion and then also just in general how I kind of approach things is like try to think about where I can make impact and where I can um, have direct influence because if I try to think of the macro scale like all the time that gets very overwhelming very quickly and I think there's just so much beauty in like like this discussion like valuing blackness as more than just a monolith and that's how social media perpetuates it that's how we can sometimes perpetuate it by talking about it from one lens and I just think it's just very grateful that we were able to have this conversation and kind of just like reinforce that blackness is not a monolith and it's there's just so much um about blackness that we can value and there's so much support and I'm thinking like I was like saying I'm thinking in the small scale like the rice black community has grown so much from this. Um, I don't know if y'all can speak to that too. It's like, I see the group in me and it's like, people are supporting each other in things that I thought we would never support each other in. And it's like, people are driving around, dropping things to people. And I was like, this is really beautiful. And like, I feel like, really, I'm really nervous as well for where this, the year is gonna go, but I'm really, at points of, like transformation, I didn't even say a word, but at once of transformation, it was like, I'm really excited to see what comes out um, of it in terms of like strengthening the community or strengthening bonds between people or just like what I'm going to learn from something. So I'm really excited to see how all of this impacts, how the Rice Black community like comes together and discusses things and how our interactions on social media change and like we're able to just like support each other more. So yeah, do y'all have any like, I guess parting words, but um, yeah. Any reflections, final reflections on top of everything that y'all said, of course. Uh, I just want to be a little bit more radical before we close out here. I just want to put a PSA out there for, cause I, I don't know, one of us mentioned this, but like, I feel as though there's some Africans who are so desensitized from what's going on here that they ended up even putting it into politics, even especially with the natural election coming up. I just want to say, like, for all us African African people listening to this, 
you know, can we stop supporting Trump? I feel as though there's a lot of Trump supporters hidden in the African community who think it's okay in order to defend the president because they have green cards at stake or they have other things at stake or he's a good president in their eyes, better than Buhari, all the other excuses. And it's, it's not enough to support this white man because he could give you resources that you couldn't find in your homeland. He, he has blatantly put travel bans on a bunch of African countries. He put travel bans on Nigeria even. I, let's be realistic here. Let's be pragmatic here. You know, if we support Trump, we are not going to see a bright, shining future anytime soon. But the bright, shining future, I won't even say it'll come from the Democratic Party. I won't be that political. But I'm just saying it's not going to come from anything that Trump and his orange hands, orange baby hands have. So I'm just saying it's like, let's, as people, unite to at least not support Trump. Can we at least have solidarity from that perspective? And it doesn't just end with African people. It ends with all the black, black people as well. You know, there's a special phrase for people who support Trump out there. And, you know, I'm not going to say it on, on, the, on the podcast, but, you know, just, I'm just saying, please, people, we must do better. There's, there's things at stake with this national election. You know, Kanye ain't going to say it was in here. So, like, I'm just saying, like, let's, let's be realistic here, you know. I'm just saying. Snaps. Not yay. <laughs> not yay. <laughs> Not yay, but not Trump. So, but yes, everything you said, Patrick. Um, I think the last thing I guess I'll say is I feel like we all just need to kind of learn to give a little more love like to everyone because like we've already kind of talked about, there's like being black is not just one thing. There's so many different ways to like be black. And I'm sure so many people have heard that before, but it's the truth. And we all like have our different like things and different experiences and different like um, identities apart from being black so I feel like we need to learn to like love like just people not even like just black people just people in general like we need to I feel like that's one thing that is, has been missing for a long time just people like showing love genuinely and just like you know just like being like good to people that's just the last thing I want to say so I love that I love that oh Zveda go ahead oh I just wanted to say that I was I don't know, going into this semester, I was really excited to meet more people and also to continue to, I guess, like lean on the people that I already know as well. So I guess it's like, it's important for us to lean on each other and try to educate ourselves and have empathy for others. Empathy, compassion, it's like, you know, give other people grace as well. Pray for each other. That's very important. There's no better love than a prayer for another. And one last thing. <laughs> Y'all, I said it on Twitter. I'm going to say it again. Black people, we are not going to have a diaspora war over Adele. We're not going to have a diaspora war over Adele. She's not worth it. <laughs> never. It's never worth it. That's all I'm saying. It's really not worth it. Oh my gosh. It's it's the pettiest things that we could all just come together and agree on or have there's just no no reason, no reason for it. Oh. But this was a really, really nice time. Wanted to thank y'all again for being here. Um yeah, and I hope I hope you had 
like a really good time as like I did. I know it was a very like genuine and raw and vulnerable conversation and I appreciate like appreciate that of everyone and yeah. I'm glad that we could come out of it like learning stuff about each other and then also hopefully this conversation like I said before like starts up conversations between us and like the Rasa community but also the BSA community and the black community and just all of us have these conversations more often. Yeah thank you all for having us. Yeah thank you. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Thank honestly thank you all for being on here. You know it was a late night. You know I know you know got homework to do and stuff but you know thank you all for being here. Yeah. Um, and y'all could stay. I'm just gonna do the announcements and then I think we're gonna wrap it up, right? Okay. <laughs> um yeah, so some announcements for the school year, um, or just for these next two weeks or so. So we have the Rasa Picnic movie night that's coming up. It's going to come up on September 18th, and it's going to be an outdoor picnic with a movie. So we're going to be watching Black Panther um, in honor of Chadwick Boseman, um, rest in peace. And um, there'll be more information about that um, on our social media, but also at our meeting. Um, yeah, and also Taste of Africa is coming up September 26th, so keep an eye out for that. Taste of Africa is going to look very different this year. Usually it's outdoors and it's music and everything, but as events coordinator, I was put a lot of work into trying to make it a virtual format so we could all still enjoy it from home. And um, there's going to be a dance workshop, so you'll be doing dances in your room, which is always a fun time. Um, <laughs> So those are some of the, those are the two events that are coming up for RASA. There are also some other events that you can keep a lookout for in the black chat or on the BS, like the ABC calendar that you can get access to. And yeah, those are my announcements. Well, once again, it was a delight having this conversation with y'all. I really do pray for the future success for our group. Um, really just, I really feel as though all Black people need to stand together in these trying times. This year wasn't the best. We lost many, but you know we got to keep striving for better in our lives and not letting things hold us back. No matter who we are, we always have a future and our path ahead of us. And no matter what that path is, it will always shine as long as we believe in ourselves. I know it's a lot of that's kind of like a too motivational there, but I really do believe in those words that you know, every path is golden plated. Just have to look hard enough. Wise words from. Pragmatic Pat. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in. Today's song was Doha, Mali Mali by Fatumata Diawara. Have a great rest of your day, my people. Peace.